So I'm excited for today. We're going to be in a passage of scripture that, as a pastor, I can tell you, doesn't get preached very much because pastors are probably a little bit afraid to preach it. Um, but here's, here's the thing. This passage, in, for spectators or for critics, can create a lot more trouble than it creates good. But I believe uh, when Paul was telling Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and training and rebuking uh, so that the person of God can be thoroughly equipped for any good work, gets to this idea that if we come to the Bible with an attitude that I want to follow Jesus, I want to do the next right thing, then it's not to be afraid of. It's something that's going to benefit us. And if you're having trouble tracking with that, there's two different approaches to the Bible we could have today. And I know even Mary Ann is in like a Chiefs hoodie. So like everybody is really like Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs today. So we got a little football for us. So most, you know, how many people will be watching the game at two, right? It's not at three, but it's at two. So almost everybody. We will all be watching it. And when Patrick Mahomes and the offense on the field, we'll be watching. A lot of us will be really emotionally invested but we will still be watching the game different, differently than the defense and Chris Jones and everybody else will be on the sideline. Some of them will be watching Patrick Mahomes too and they might be emotional, you know, they're gonna be emotionally invested too, but when they see plays, they're watching it with an idea of how's what's happening right now gonna change things for me when I'm out there. Very different than when I'm on my couch, right? And it's like, in my living room eating chips or whatever, right? I might yell, and Chris Jones might yell, but I'm not thinking about how I need to play differently or rush differently or whatever, depending on whether a touchdown gets scored by the other team or whatever. To be a participant, to say, I'm watching this so I can do the next thing myself right, is very different than being a fan or a spectator or a critic, right? And we come to the Bible today and we look at what Jesus is gonna tell us we need to have that sort of eyes for it. Like in a way, we're on the sideline right in this moment, right? Like it's not hopefully super intense for you right now in this room. But the idea is like we're about to go right back out into independence, back to your home and everything else. Like you're going to have a chance to make a difference here in just a minute. And we need to look at this scripture with eyes like that. It's like what's happening right now is going to change what I do next. You need to watch it the same way a sideline player would watch it, not the way a fan would watch it, right? So we're still in this belief series. We go to this next verse, or this opening verse that we talk about a lot. The Gospel of John was written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior and the King, right? We're saying, Jesus, I need your help, and Jesus, I want to follow you. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That what we truly think and trust in our heart about Jesus, that that changes our life, right? That was the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, and that's the purpose of what we're gonna read today. And so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer where we say, Jesus, I wanna be a participant with you. So come show me the next thing to do, right? Let's pray. Jesus, we don't wanna just be on a couch watching the stuff you do. We want to get up and be on your team. And I pray today as we look in the Bible and we see a passage that gets skipped over a lot, 
I pray you would come and show us something good, each one of us, by the power and the grace and the truth of your Holy Spirit. Jesus is in your name we pray, amen. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. This is Easter Sunday. If you were here last week at the Delaware, uh, you know that Jesus rose from the dead. He talked to Mary first, and he told Mary, go tell my brothers that I'm returning to my father and their father, right? He told them the basic gospel, like, I want you to be my family, right? Jesus offers that to any one of us. He's conquered death, and he's saying, I want you to have a relationship with God like I have. So that was last week. Now he's going to show up to these guys that just heard about it, right? So John chapter 20, verse 19. Please turn there if you've got it. But it's going to be here on the screen as well, right? So John 20, verse 19, this first verse here, we'll put it up. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, right? Jesus had just been crucified Friday evening, right? So there's, there's a fear in these disciples. They've got the door locked. Next part of that verse, Jesus came miraculously, like without opening the door, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. If you were here when we were talking through John 14, maybe it triggers that thought, right? Jesus talked a lot about peace in John 14. Now, and he's talking about he was going to come back from the when in their time of sorrow and bring them peace. Here you see the fulfillment of that. Peace be with you. He's right there in the middle. Verse 20, after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands, which were nailed, right, onto the cross, and his side, which was pierced with a spear. So he shows them these wounds that remain in his resurrected body, right? Even though Jesus becomes supernaturally powerful, he's resurrected, these scars remain as this like glorious testimony to what Jesus did for us, right? And he tells these guys, come and look at it, right? Like, come experience it. The disciples were, can you say this word with me? What were they? Overjoyed, right? One more time. Overjoyed. So Mike tricked you guys earlier. You guys always are louder on the second one. So he kind of led you into that earlier, right? But I know you, right? You, you do better the second time, right? So they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Okay, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. If, uh, if Jesus says something twice, right after showing you his scars, like, it's worth paying attention to, right? Some of us today, you've already heard what you need to receive from Jesus, right? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me I am sending you. We're going to come back to that one. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Verse 22. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is a piece where some people have some questions about like, wait, what's exactly happening here? And it confuses people sometimes. We're going to talk about this one a little bit more. But here's the big important thing is that Jesus had said in John 14, 15, and 16, that he wasn't going to leave us as orphans, that he was going to give his spirit to us. And here, the Bible's talking to us about like Jesus is the source, 
of our connection with God through the Holy Spirit. He gives that to his disciples. He gives him, I should say that. He gives him the person of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And then verse 23, which is another one that can confuse people. We'll dig into it a little bit though. Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you read that, you're like, wait, what? What does that mean? Does that mean if I'm mad at my mother-in-law, she's going to go to hell because I'm mad at her, right? Is that what that means? Probably not, right? Right away when we hear that, you're like, that one's not right. Like, right? Like Jake's poor mother-in-law, right? Or something, you know, like, uh, I'm not mad. At, I've got a great mother-in-law, by the way, if, she, if she's watching, right? Judy, you're amazing. But uh, so what do we do? If, you're re- if you've read this and you're like, Jake, I don't know why this is such a big deal. I've still got some stuff for you. But if you're reading this and you're like, this has confused me in some way. Remember what we first talked about. The questions that are stirring in you right now need to be questions about, okay, but what am I supposed to do when I get the ball here in a minute? When I'm talking to somebody that's been rude to me at Quick Trip on the way home from church, like how is what I'm hearing right now supposed to change what I do, right? Because sometimes... We just want to get off on a rabbit trail. But the real concern is like whatever's happened on the field, right? Like when Hardman fumbled the ball through the back of the end zone, no one's like, oh man, we should really change this rule, right? I mean, like the Chiefs were worried about like, well, what are we going to do now that we got to get back out there and play, right? So that's how we approach this. So I got three images for you that I think like, as I've prayed about it for maybe this week, I've read commentaries, I've been reading from Christians from a thousand years ago, what'd they say about this? And I think there's three things that Maywood needs to hear today. So I got three images for us. The first one is a real simple one of just looking at a picture of the Gospel of John. So if you can put that slide up. There's two gifts from Jesus in this passage. And maybe they're one and the same, but Jesus says twice that he gives what? Right? Peace. And then he gives the Holy Spirit. And you could say, like, maybe that's one and the same, but here's what I'm going to tell you. is John 13 through 17, those chapters, they bring it out. They flesh it out. What is Jesus talking about? What is this peace all about? What is the Holy Spirit supposed to do? So if you're here today and you're like, I don't have enough peace in my life, which is probably a lot of us, Or if you're here today and you're like, I don't really have enough of the Holy Spirit or I don't understand the Holy Spirit enough, which is also probably a lot of us, I'm going to give you one good move to take. This isn't like you'll never have to learn anything ever again. But one good move to take is to say those chapters are important and they tell us about Jesus's peace and they tell us about the Holy Spirit. And they're going to tell you some things that are going to make you pray different. They're going to tell you some things that are going to make you expect more miraculous, more powerful stuff in your life. Wrestle with that stuff. And in the wrestling with it, I don't know what Jesus is going to give you, but here's a quick aside of what he gave me about a year ago. About a year ago, if you've seen me carrying around this red notebook that's not super dirty yet, I've been using that for a month or two. This is my one from before. It's got a lot more like greasiness on the cover, so... Yeah, there it is. But this one was what I was carrying around last year and a little bit prior. And if you flip to the very front, there's John 14, like written out. 
It's because I was reading this passage and just the peace and what the Holy Spirit was saying to me through that, it was so good, like I just, I wanted to camp on it longer. And if Jesus starts making something churn up in your heart, it's hard to hold on to it. You know, you're drinking your coffee, reading the Bible, but then you get stuck in traffic. And I hear about what you guys do in traffic sometimes. Sometimes it disappoints me as your pastor, to be honest. It's like, oh man, like that guy did that. But uh, it happens, right? So it's hard to keep it with you. It's easier to keep it with you if you write it out. Something about writing it helps you stay with it. But then here's what's happened is I would get stuck places and occasionally, in months of having this with me, I would not reach for my cell phone. I would just read John 14. So why does that matter? Well, there were a few times where I had more peace, and that's nice. But it really came to a head where somebody I really love, a dear friend of mine, went through something terrible right around Christmas last year, and I didn't have much to give. Have you ever been in that spot where it's like somebody you love is really hurting, and you're like, I don't have the right words for this person, right? I opened that up, and I read them John 14. That was in my mind, because we were ready to preach this sermon, and I grabbed this thing off my bookshelf today, and I read it to another friend I love, who, like, I didn't have good words to give. When Jesus gives you something, it's worth treasuring. Because when somebody else that you love needs something good, like the treasures from Jesus are better than your best whatever. Right? So reflect on that. Write it out. Say, like, Jesus, I want more of your peace. Jesus, I want your Holy Spirit. And this is jumping to the Gospel of Luke. But in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus promises us that our Father's good and he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Like, that's a promise. Jesus is either true or not, right? So like ask him. So that's piece one. And if you're here today, it's gonna build, right? You're not gonna do great at step two or three if you don't have number one down. So if you don't have enough of Jesus' peace or enough of his Holy Spirit, do something this week to say, I'm opening up to more, okay? You could do John 13 through 17. You could do something different if you got a better idea. Next picture for us. Uh, this is kind of dark, but this is from like the 1600s or something. It's in the public domain. Uh, it's actually a scene s- coming up in John where Thomas shows up. And I don't know if you can see very well. It depends on how your vision is. But if you see really good, this guy's got his finger in the wound of Jesus and like the skin's like pushing up. And there's all sorts of details here, right? Like you can see Thomas's little like sleeve isn't all put together, right? Like it's, you know, clothing's not coming from Cargo Largo back then or whatever, right? So there's a lot there. But the reason I picked this picture is like when you look at that finger and the fold of the skin, you can't help but like feel. Like there's like a touch sensation. Some, some of us in the room were really on board with like a let's read the Bible more because you're very comfortable with like trust in the Bible, which is like really wonderful. Jesus' disciples didn't understand from the scriptures what was going on, but they did touch Jesus. 
And a lot of what happens in Acts and just in all of church history, it happens because people have real experiences with Jesus. We have access to the Bible. Just like I was talking earlier, the Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, righteousness, inspired. But you're not all who you're supposed to be if you're not having experiences with Jesus that change you firsthand. Like just this morning, I was with somebody at Maywood, and they were talking about, like, why do why really believe? Like, how do you handle doubts? And when I started asking about experiences with Jesus, like, there wasn't a lot of immediate stories, which is not like a judgment. But, like, Jesus opens up his wounds and says, come and touch me. Come and see it. If you don't have a lot of experiences with Jesus, start asking for him. And if you have experiences with Jesus, don't forget him. Like, tell other people about him. Write them down. Because there's going to come some point where, as good as the Bible is, you're going to doubt it at some point, probably, as an American adult. But if you've had experiences with Jesus, it's going to reinforce that trust that you have in the Bible. If you have experiences with Jesus, they might not get you through every moment, but there's some stuff that they're going to get you through that other things won't get you through. And you're cheating yourself. Like, imagine if you were sitting in that room, you're like, ah, you know, like, we're about to eat some fish. Like, I don't really want to. I don't really want to touch you, Jesus, right? Like what? Like resurrected Jesus is saying like, come, check it out. But how many of us have chances with Jesus and we just don't actually experience it, right? Like we feel a tug in the midst of a big pain to do something or to pray something. And we just think like, eh, it's more comfortable to stay where I'm at. And you miss the experience, right? So we don't control, the disciples don't control what's happening in this scene, like Jesus shows up. But I'm here to tell you, if you are hungry to experience and touch Jesus, he's not a magician, he's not just gonna entertain you, right? He's not looking for likes or something like that. But if you're hungry to experience him for real, you will have experiences of him. Like I, I just don't think anything, it's gonna happen, right? I remember somebody I really cared about when I was like 19 years old said, I don't believe in God because one time I prayed like, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And he didn't, didn't do it. So I don't believe in him. It was like heartbreaking to me, right? Because this guy like gave up on like 15 minutes of trying. And like, anyways, I just know from experience, like God won't like jump to your tune, right? But I also know from experience, like when people really are hungry, like God does show up. So if you don't have a like touching moment with Jesus, like look for it. Because if you don't have big experiences with the Holy Spirit, if you don't have big experiences with Jesus yourself, like the Bible all by itself is not enough to get you to be all that you're supposed to be in Jesus. Like you need actual Jesus in your life, impacting you, teaching you, right? Why? Why do we need it to be that big? Why do we need that much? Well, this next slide talks about these two huge statements from Jesus. Or doesn't, this slide doesn't, but it's going to illustrate it. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. 
This sort of idea comes up elsewhere in John, and it really comes up in the other Gospels too. It's basically the Great Commission that we talk about a lot at the end of Matthew. Jesus is saying, like, I had a mission on earth, and now I'm handing it to Lester, and I'm handing it to Stephanie and Jason, right, and to Robert. Jesus is handing what God gave him to do. He's handing it to us together. So like all the weight of saving everybody in the whole world isn't on like Amy Williams' shoulder, right? But like if Connor and Mike and Wayne and all of us will follow Jesus together, like Jesus has put the mission on our shoulders as Christians in the world. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus has a really tough mission from God, and Jesus is so incredible. And you start to look at yourself or even at us together, and you start to think, like, I don't know how we're going to ever do all that. So before we get to the forgiveness thing, here's just a quick example if you just need to be impressed with Jesus. It's never bad to pay attention to Jesus. So this is another painting from forever ago from the 1600s. I think Rembrandt painted this one, but there's... 13 guys on this boat, right? This is the storm that comes up, Matthew and Mark, uh, maybe elsewhere too. But Jesus is asleep on the boat while everyone is just freaking out. And when you see this painting, you can like feel the intensity of the waves, right? You can like feel how wet and moist and rocky and noisy it is. Jesus is asleep while everyone else is freaking out. And when you see that, if you stop a little bit, you're like, Jesus is a lot different than us. Like, he's different from me because, like, I struggle to go to sleep when nobody else is sleeping because I feel like everyone's going to think I'm lazy, right? I'm, like, scared of how people view me. Not scared of being lazy. I'm scared of being viewed as lazy, right? It's an unchristlike characteristic, right? Like, he's, he's asleep and nobody else is. He's not worried about what everybody else thinks of him. Some of us are like, I can't go to sleep while 12 other people are doing something because they're doing it wrong, right? Like some people are like, I can't, I can't not be telling everybody what to do, right? Because that's how we're not like, Jesus has this ability to go to sleep then and to stay up really late praying. I mean, he's just, he's on a different schedule than we are. But then when everybody wakes him up and they're freaking out, he tells the winds and the waves, like, be calm, I mean, how many of us, like, get stuff done with, like, two words, right? Clearly not me, as you guys are like, when is this going to be done, right? So two words, be calm, and the wind and the waves listen. Like, I have a hard time getting my two seven-year-olds to listen, right? Like, I can't imagine, like, the wind or the waves, right? Like, two words. And then he rebukes these guys that are following him about like, why are you freaking out so much, right? He has a conflict with them, not in like a blow up the relationship, but in like a, you guys need to be better. Already, just that one scene, we think like, man, we got a long way to go to be like Jesus. The power, the freedom, the ability to push people and love them at the same time, to focus on what really matters, to not say too much, Like, it's just, like, so much there to worship him about, but then to think, like, how are we ever going to do it? Jesus has this crazy statement in John 13. If you go back this week, you'll see it, where he says, if anybody accepts one, a person that I send, they're accepting me. 
And if anybody rejects the person I send, they're rejecting me. There's this idea like if you're in step with Jesus, the way people respond to you, it's their response to Jesus. And when I think about my life, I can't say like, man, I'm so in step with Jesus that if someone's happy to see me, they're happy to see Jesus. If someone's befriending me, they're befriending Jesus. And that forgiveness thing that's kind of scary where Jesus says, like, if you forgive anybody, they're forgiven, and if you don't forgive, they're not forgiven, it's a really similar echo to that John 13 statement, where Jesus is saying us as a church should be the type of place where when we forgive something and we let people know about that, like, they're receiving God's forgiveness. Like, there's that kind of power in the way we interact about forgiveness. And when we confront somebody and say, like, what you're doing is wrong and you need to change and you're not right with God, that we are only saying that when it's a really true thing, that we're not flippantly running around condemning people to a different level or in a different way than God is. That like Jesus was on earth, in step with God the Father, the things that he said carried the Father's authority because they were in tune. Jesus wants our forgiveness in tune with him. Jesus wants our forgiveness in tune with him. Forgiveness gets like highlighted by Jesus really in a way that no, I can't think of anything else getting the same sort of highlights. Jesus talks about all sorts of stuff we can do wrong, right? And still be forgiven. But when Jesus says like, but if you hold something against somebody, if you're bitter and unforgiving towards somebody else, I'm not gonna forgive you. We don't bring that up very often. We kind of always take Jesus' forgiveness for granted, right? But Jesus says, like, no, if you won't forgive that person, like, I'm not going to forgive you. How does that fit with what he's saying here? We're not in step with him if we haven't become the type of person that forgives like him. We're not walking around in his authority So when Jesus says the same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and I'm giving you this power of authority, and forgiveness is the specific trait he brings up to the disciples here, that we're going to forgive like God. That's what he's desiring of us. You start to see why Jesus puts peace in the Holy Spirit right here with it. Because this feels like a crushing weight, right? I mean, Jesus was sent by God to pour out everything, right? To be a servant and humiliated and to die and to forgive the people that put him on the cross. And he's saying, I'm sending you in the same way. Like it feels like a crushing thing. And then to this idea of being able to forgive with God's, to be in tune with God on forgiveness. Because some of us feel so guilty ourselves that we just, we do want to forgive everyone else, but we're, we're never going to have a confrontation with somebody about you need to get right with God. Like for some of us, that's how we're not Christ-like. And others, it's like, oh, well, that's sin I never struggled with. That's the really bad one, right? Either way, like we're not being Christ-like. So that's why I said these things build on each other, right? If we don't have peace, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, like we don't have a chance to be like Jesus. And Jesus is going to train us together to be like him, right? We get to learn right here in our own family, right? Like how to forgive each other, 
how to stick with each other, how to go through hard things together. Real quick, I've got just a couple more ideas for you. One is, Daniel brought up in Sunday school, what about people that hate themselves? What about people that don't love themselves? How do I help those people? Like, how do I even begin to help them? When we start forgiving, like Jesus forgives, people around us will respond to God. When we love people that are mean to us, when we forgive people that just don't deserve it, when we confront people that need to change, like those are moments of bringing Jesus's light into a dark place. And people who can't yet love themselves can realize they've been forgiven and have a spark of hope. That's the sort of stuff Jesus wants us to be about, right? So last slide for you tonight, or today, this afternoon, wherever we are. Uh, we talked about football at the beginning, right? Now it's our chance to get onto the field. Like our week starts right now, right? And we can leave here with Jesus' peace. We can leave here with the Holy Spirit, and together we can be like Jesus. One real quick point on that. Uh, Harding's football or fumble last week really stuck out to me, but I heard a Travis Kelsey's podcast. Um, and Kelsey like blames himself for missing a block and like feels t- bad for Hardman. And I just thought like, well, that's what a good team looks like, right? When you're taking responsibility for yourself and you're working together to be better, right? And all of us, me right there with, as your leader, like I'm making mistakes. We're all going to fumble at times, right? But like we can stick together through things, right? We can win games even when we're not perfect because Jesus has a lot of grace for us, right? And Jesus will move us forward. So I want to pray a blessing over you guys, but don't leave this room without accepting Jesus's peace, without accepting his gift of new life. Okay, if you don't know how to do that, we've got this newcomer thing. I'll put that slide up. That newcomer thing is like, let's get serious about following Jesus, right? Um, and Mr. Collins came and talked to me last week. We had lots of different folks that are, maybe not lots. We had a couple of folks come and talk. Uh, if you want to talk to me or Daniel or Rachel, come up and do that. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, I thank you for picking us to be on your team. I remember what it feels like to not get picked first or second or third or fourth or fifth that did not be wanted on a team. But Jesus, you saw every single person in this room and you offered them a place in your family. Please help us to accept your peace, to accept your forgiveness, to accept your spirit and help us together to live like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.